We're going to look at Exodus chapter 17, and we'll read verse 1. Exodus chapter 17, and then we'll read verse 1. In our day and age, we live in a world filled with problems. But to be quite honest, when we compare ourselves to the saints back then, it's not really a problem. Also, if we were to really ponder about how the Lord blessed our lives, we are not actually going to serious issues. Obviously, people go through problems, and we don't take light of them. We sympathize with you, and we pray with you. However, I think sometimes we have to look more carefully within ourselves and ask if these problems are really a big deal, or we're creating them to be a problem. Let's look at Exodus chapter 17, and we'll read verse 1. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin. All right, from sin. Take a look at that one for a while, okay? After their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord, and pitched in Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink, wherefore the people did chide with Moses, and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out, out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people and take with thee of the elders of Israel and thy rod wherewith thou smotest the river at, take in thine hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel. And because he tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Now, notice right here from verses 1 through 7 that you see a lot of whining going on over here. And the more that I read about the children of Israel, the more that I see about Bible-believing Christians going through the wilderness in their lives and having the typical problems, typical whining issues that the children of Israel goes through. Now, the children of Israel, they needed water to drink, so then they were whining in front of Moses, did you bring us out here to die? We need water to drink. They could have asked before, but instead they were just whining after they saw all the miracles of God, of what he did in the land of Egypt and drowned the Egyptians. And they're out here just whining about the silliest things. They are thirsty. They need water. But they could have asked Moses for it instead of just whining to him about it. Why would they whine to him about it after all the miracles they saw God do? Why would they doubt God's power? I mean, they said that, did you bring us out here to die? Why would they even say that after God delivered them from many death situations, deadly situations with Pharaoh and the Egyptians? It's kind of strange to me. But I believe it's the same thing with us Christians. After how many times the Lord brought you out of, you dramatize things and whine very easily, don't you? The children of Israel, they were already on the winning side no matter how powerful the empire of Egypt was. And no matter how strong Satan's world system is, know this, you're already on the winning side. Yeah, amen. So why are you whining? 
Today my title is Finish Whining and Start Winning. Let's pray. Father God, please fill within me the power of your Holy Spirit. Wash away my sins with your blood. It's a strange thing before I preach every sermon. I always feel weak and unconfident and vulnerable. After I finish the preaching, you always pull me through and use it to help people. Will you do so again, Father? This is for you so that we can live properly as Bible-believing Christians to glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, my first point is desolation in the wilderness. Look at verse 1. Verse 1. Desolation in the wilderness. The Bible says, And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys, according to the commandment of the Lord, and pitched in Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Now, notice over here that there is desolation. There's no water going on here. There's no shade. There's no in-and-out burgers over here. It's all desolation in this wilderness. Now, I believe that as Bible-believing Christians, when we're going through the wilderness, we are living in desolation. And one of the key words that I like at verse 1 is the wilderness of what? Sin. And I think that's the key word, is that when you're in sin, you will live a life of desolation. And when you're in desolation, the obvious consequence is whining about the desolation you're going through. Which means then, sin is the main issue. Jude 1 verse 16 says, which you don't have to turn to, These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. Now, notice over here that the passage says these are murmurers walking after their own lusts. See, whining is a result and a consequence from sinning, from living in the flesh. So basically, do you know why you keep whining about the problems you're going through in life? I'll give you a very simple answer. Because you're sinning. It's because you're messing around, you're living in sin. When you're living in the desolation of sin, it's obvious that emotions will rise up consequently from living in sin. Doesn't sin bring guilt in your life? Doesn't sin bring depression in your life? Doesn't sin cause you to worry about things? Doesn't sin cause you to be discontented with what God has given to you? Aren't those things true when you live in sin? Yes. And when you are living in those consequences of discontentment, worrying, guilt, and depression that result from sin, what do you think you're going to do, obviously? Whine. That's what's going to happen. So you got to realize that when you are whining about the things you're going through in life, it's not just, okay, i got to repress all these emotions and stop whining. No, the thing is this, is that you got to start thinking more of this way. Okay, why does my flesh want to whine? Is it because of the guilty emotions that I've repressed all this time because of my sinful thing that I'm doing? Is it because my body is feeling so, so depressed? That's why I'm whining? I wonder where this depression is coming from. Am I doing what I'm supposed to do as a Bible-believing Christian? Reading the Bible, praying, going outdoors, doing something so that my body doesn't become depressed? I wonder that 
the reason why that I whine is because of my worries. Oh, what am I going to do with my bills? What am I going to do with school? How am I going to manage my work? Why am I worrying about these things unless I'm not living right for God? If I'm living right for God, then I know that everything is in His hands. Maybe I don't have enough faith in Him because I've messed up in something. Maybe that's why I worry, and maybe that's why later on I whine about work is too difficult, school is too difficult. So where is whining coming from? It's from these negative emotions. But you got to realize this negative emotions would not happen if you replaced it with positive emotions. And those positive emotions can only result when you serve God, not when you sin. When you're serving God, don't you think that the result, which should be obvious, when you're walking in the Spirit, according to Galatians 5, the Bible says that, Galatians 5, that the fruit of the Spirit, see the result that comes out is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. That would withhold the whining. Gentleness, goodness, faith. That would clear the worries. Meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Now see, I mean, these fruits, these positive results come from walking in the Spirit. I mean, do you think that these are negative emotions? Love, gentleness, peace, peace, long-suffering, that can withhold the whining. These aren't negative emotions, these are positive emotions. And that would prevent you from whining. You don't whine when you have a positive emotion. When you're filled with peace, you're not going to whine. When you're filled with love, you don't whine. When you're filled with long-suffering, hey, you don't whine. But you're whining because of negative emotions, guilt, depression, worry, fear, etc. And where do these negative emotions come from? You need to look in your heart. You need to look at yourself and see. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 reads, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is a victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Now this verse shows that in order to win, you need to have faith. But see, you're still whining. You're not living the winning life. You're not on a winning streak. You're at a losing streak and you're whining. Why? Because you lack faith. That's the verse. That's the key. See, the reason why you keep whining then, the reason why you keep sinning, is because you don't want to win. That's the key there. Did you ever realize that? This is a victory, even our faith. That's victory. But do you want that? No. I'll tell you what you want to do. You want to do what your flesh wants to do. If the flesh feels down, guess what? You want to feel down. If the flesh wants to worry, you want to worry. If the flesh wants to sin, the flesh, you're going to sin. If the flesh wants to remain a loser, guess what? You will remain a loser. Flesh doesn't want to read the Bible. Flesh doesn't want to pray. The flesh doesn't want to work. The flesh doesn't want to do soul winning. The flesh doesn't want to help out brother. The flesh doesn't want to do something for the Lord. The flesh doesn't want to be active and etc. The flesh, when it doesn't want to do these things, guess what you're going to do? You're going to follow whatever the flesh wants to do. So it shows right here you don't want to win. You don't want to read your Bible. You don't want to live a successful life. You don't want to be a winner for Jesus Christ. You want to be a loser. That's why you whine. See, in order to change this whining cycle that you're going through, it's that desire that I want to overcome it. I want to win. 
I want to live on top on victory, not like always in defeat and, oh, things are bad and, oh, it's the same and, oh, I'm not doing much for the Lord. And, hey, you got to get out of that. You know why you're down there? Because you want to stay down there. Because your flesh feels comfortable there in being a loser. Your flesh doesn't want to change. You don't want to change your life for Jesus Christ. You don't want to be a winner. See, unless you have that desire, I want to win, I want to succeed, then you can overcome the whining. My second point is drama in the wilderness. Drama in the wilderness. Look at the drama going on here. Look at verse 3 through 4. I mean, look at this, man. It's, it's insane. But this sounds like Christians that you see in churches. All right, compare this with the typical Christian in church. And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt? Why did you take me out of my comfortable living situation, out of the world and everything that I had, to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? God, you're killing me. You're killing my wife. You're killing my children. You're even killing my dog and my pet cat. You're killing all of us. Verse 4, And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. Man, I want to stone that preacher. Man, I want to stone that brother and sister. Man, God, it just really annoys me. Man, I just want to... What in the world, man? That's typically 95% of Christians. Drama. Drama. Dramatizing problems. Come on, man. It's a problem, but you're over. You're dramatizing it. Acts chapter 25, verse 7 says, And when he was come, the Jews which came down from Jerusalem stood round about and laid many, laid many and grievous complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. Now, I, I liked how this verse reads, laid many and grievous complaints against Paul. It didn't put it together, many grievous complaints. It just says many and grievous complaints. Why? To show that how bad this complaint was. It's like so much, there's a lot, many. And aside from that, on top of it, it was very grievous. They made it like really bad, overtly dramatic. Now, when you whine, you got to realize you're being overtly dramatic. You're not realistic about the situations you go through that everybody, 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 you're not the only one in the hospital. You're not the only one struggling to pay the bills. You're not the only one stressing out about an exam. You're not the only one who's struggling with job. You're not the only one having trouble with family. Everybody goes through in everyday life. That's realistic. That's reality. But I think our problem is is that we don't have enough contact with our outside world. We're so used to our ideal, fantasized mind that we have of what a perfect American life should be. And you watch too much television, you look at too much at the internet, and you only look at fancy things that people have, and you create a television made-up world called the Chronicles of Narnia. You got so much fairy tale in here that this is like, oh, this is my ideal world. And then when your ideal world is crashed a little bit, then you think that, oh, life is so unfair. Life is so hard. No, this is what everybody goes through. You're being overtly dramatic, man. 
You know, the danger of whining is that you mingle it with drama. You dramatize it. See, in other words, when you're whining about a problem, guess what your mind's going to do? It's going to focus on that complaint. Mm -hmm. Then it's going to focus on increasing the complaint. Then it's going to focus on making the pain worse. And then it's coming to a point where you pass the boundaries and then you create, what, this many burden that originally should not be beyond this point. This is the realistic problem, but then you carried it with your mind by, oh man, what, what am I going to do? How am I going to take care of my kids? What am I going to do to take care of the house? And then what if I get a bad grade? And what if people look down at me at work? And then you just stretch it beyond over here. And guess what? You've got this much that you created that is drama, not realistic situation over here. All of this now is drama. And guess what you did? You added that inside that small size brain of yours. And don't tell me you're not going to get a headache after that. You're going to get stressed out. Guess what you created? You created unnecessary burden that God did not intend. You created the problem and the burden that should have never even existed to begin with. You just created it. Do you want that in your mind, in your conscious? No, you want to cast that aside, don't you? Don't you want to just let that be covered underneath the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and just say, okay, God, I'm just going to just trust however way you do things. One thing that I learn to do when I go through problems in, in life is this, is that try to critique it. You ever done that? You know, the verse I read, it says many and grievous complaints, which they could not prove. That's what you need to do. You need to have a critical mindset and start thinking, is this really a problem? Am I the only one that's going through that? You know, you're asking the wrong questions. You're putting those questions on God's way of doing things, on how God is taking care of your life and blessing you. And you're like asking the wrong questions. You're saying, okay, God, is it really that great? Is Romans 8, 28 really true? I can't really trust and obey when my flesh don't feel like it. See, you're putting the wrong criticisms, the wrong questions at the wrong place. You need to put those things at the negative emotions, at the sins, at the whining and say, is it really that bad? Am I the only one that's going through that? Oh, is it really a bad, stressful day? Or is it just something that my flesh and my mind just became too lazy and too depressed to get into? See, you got to realize a lot of the problems could be your own fault, your own doing. You got to start putting the questions, can I prove it? Critique it. You need to critique it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 11 says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Now, the verse mentions, which always put fear in our hearts, this ugly passage about the judgment seat of, uh, the judgment seat of Christ. And it mentions that there is terror at the judgment seat of Christ. And such terror, Paul says, I trust is made manifest in your conscience. In other words, he trusts that the terror and the shame you feel at the judgment seat of Christ, he trusts that you'll remember it, that you can vividly picture it. 
Instead of dramatizing your problem, you should dramatize what the judgment seat of Christ would be like. And when you picture that, that terror and that shame, the key word right here is shame. One thing I learned that can be one of the best flesh, fleshly things that can conquer the fleshly emotion of whining is actually shame. No flesh wants to feel shame. It's an awful feeling. Okay, then this is what you can do with your fleshly problem of whining. Take that fleshly emotion of shame and use it to counterattack it. You might say, how so? Here's one example. <clears throat> one example is, if we were at the judgment seat of Christ, and shame is definitely going to play a factor there, right? Imagine how God would play other people's lives who have similar situations like you, and not only that, there's probably thousands, if not millions of lost people who are going through similar situations like you, and then see your life having all these complaints and then take all these complaints and compare it with those people and see if you have the guts to go in front of these people and tell them your legitimate complaints and say, man, you don't know what I went through. And then this person might go, okay, really? Uh, tell me. And then you tell them what you've gone through. And then you know what that person's going to do? That person's going to look at you kind of funny maybe and say, hey, I went through the same thing too. What if another person says, I went through worse situations? What are you talking about? See if you whine after that. I mean, take all your best whining, okay? And, see, and then when you actually say it in front of people who have problems and issues, see if you have the guts to do that. Or see if you're going to be ashamed and with so much shame, you realize this is hardly something to whine about. So why am I even whining? Shame. Here's a better one. You might see what's a better one. See if after you pour out all your whining, and then God plays at the judgment seat of Christ. And then everybody uh -oh. throughout, say believer, throughout history, takes a look at that. Uh -oh. oh, I had a problem right here with what? I skipped a meal that day. Oh, my. I had a little bit of a headache that day. My stomach hurt. Oh. I mean, I mean, look at that and then see how these thousands to millions of people take a look at that. I mean, look, God has to play. So you might be in shame, right? Saying, stop it, stop it. But God says, no, every idle word, every idle word that you whined about, every thought will be what? Made manifest at the judgment. God says, keep on going. And you keep whining and whining and you're like screaming at yourself on the screen. Why can't you shut up? Like that. So before you whine, why don't you look, picture yourself right now. Look at yourself in the mirror and give a whining complaint in front of yourself at the mirror and then see how embarrassed and shameful you'll feel because remember this, that's what's going to show you at the judgment seat of Christ, your facial expression, your emotion, and the specific whining words that you dare wouldn't say. And you don't want it to be exposed at the judgment seat of Christ.
you shame. That would drop a lot of your drama, don't you think so? My third point is drink in the wilderness. Let's look at verse 5. Let's look at verse 5. Drink in the wilderness. Now look at this drink that the Lord has provided in the midst of their whining. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people, and take with thee of the elders of Israel, and thy rod wherewith thou smotest the river. Take in thine hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. You know, my third point is drink in the wilderness. In the middle of the wilderness where you are whining, every Christian is wandering and roaming in this wilderness. Like that song goes, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. Like Hebrews chapter 11 says that we're strangers and pilgrims in this world. So we're just wandering in this wilderness, but you got to realize that God does not let you go, go thirsty. He provides you a drink. And a drink that is beyond satisfaction and provides all your needs. Isaiah chapter 53 verses 4 through 5 reads, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. What a rich drink that the Lord has provided to us when he died on the cross of Calvary. And Jesus Christ did not have a drop to drink when he died. In return, he gave us the drink of salvation. And you got to realize, as some of you have heard me teaching in beginner's discipleship about the results of salvation, my goodness, when you got salvation, it's not just being saved from hell. You don't see all the results that accompanied it. The results of salvation is beyond your wildest dream and fantasy. Justification, sanctification, redemption. I mean, the Lord just provided so many blessings, a home in heaven, rewards and opportunity to serve Him. Joy, peace from the Holy Ghost, and etc. What a rich drink. You know, you got to realize that whining is a sin. Don't you know that? Sometimes we don't think about it. Sometimes we think it's a natural, humane reaction, but you got to realize whining is a sin. And we got to realize that God should have had the right to beat us with the rod for sinning. But instead, you know what Jesus, is, Jesus did? In this verse, he took the beating of the rod for us and gave us a drink instead. You know what's so amazing is that we should have been beaten for the sin that we committed against God, and Jesus took it for us and provided us his righteousness and his salvation, whereas he took our judgment, our punishment, and guess what? We still whine. Isn't that amazing? Human nature don't learn, man. Human nature is wicked at best. How can we whine about the drink that the Lord Jesus Christ has provided to you and I when he bled and died on Calvary? How can we whine about that drink when that should have been us crying out, I thirst on the cross? When that should have been us taking upon the sins of mankind upon ourselves? When that should have been us beaten and spitten and crucified naked on a cross? That should have been us. And all the sins of whining, if we were to count all the hours, seconds, 
days to years of all of our whining sins and total that up together, that should have been us on the cross, bearing the sins of whining. But Jesus says, I'll take your sins for you, your sins of whining. Every time you whine against me, bless God and hallelujah, Jesus said, I'll take it in your place. Be punished in your place. And no matter how much you whine in the future, Jesus took it all on the cross. How unfathomable that is and how wicked mankind is that we should be grateful after that and we should feel guilty and repentant and say, oh God, how can you take all my sins of whining? Even as a saved Christian, can you not feel guilty, repentant and ponder and say, oh God, I'm sorry that I whine. How could I whine when you went through so much worse? And these sins of whining that I did just now, you had to be punished at my place at Calvary. Shouldn't we have that kind of reaction, that response? But no, instead we say, why God? God, I don't like it when you do this. Where, where, where? I hate this and black. You still keep shooting off that mouth and whining. Without an ounce of respect and guilt. Thinking about Jesus taking all those sins of whining at the cross. What a drink. What a drink the Lord Jesus Christ has given to you. But guess what? Jesus provided you that rich drink and he lets you whine about it. And it is by his grace he didn't beat you. It is by his grace he lets you live. It is by by his grace he even comforts you. It is by his grace he gives you brethren around you to give you peace. It is by his grace he gives you a family or somebody in the family who still loves you. It is by his grace he pours his love on you. It is by his grace his grace carries you through despite of the times that you whined in the midst of it. What a God we serve. What a God. What a mighty God we serve. You know, Jesus Christ for 33 and a half years without a home, without a... Soft pillow, but a stone for his head to sleep on. He had to withhold all the whining, you know that? In order to live a sinless life so that he can be the perfect sacrifice in your place. Imagine Jesus was thinking while he was going through situations just like you, if not worse than you, carrying that heavy cross, he had to say, I can't whine about it. Because I have to take Gene Kim's whining. I have to take Brother Ralph's whining. I have to take Brother Randall's whining. I have to take Jack's whining. I have to take their whining of sin while I withhold my own whining. Carry it on the cross of Calvary and die in their place. Thank you, Lord. Amen. You know, celebrities, when you look at them, they don't have a perfect life and they go through miserable situations. But a lot of people... Think of it this way and realize that celebrities, they try to enjoy their life because they're like a winner. They want an Oscar. They want an award. They're a millionaire status. They got the fame that they wanted. And you know what they do is that these celebrities, they try to enjoy them, what they have. They try to remain grateful with the awards that they won and their millionaire life and the fame that they have. They look at the benefits. So any bumps that they come across in media where they hear negative reports about them, when they do traveling, takes them away from their family. It's a lot of work. It can be hectic. 
and all the meetings and the hassles that they have to go through in order to attain the fame status and to be able to act out in movies, you know what they do? They take it as obvious and brush it off when they look at the Oscar award that I want to get that's not even made out of pure gold. The fame and the status that I want. That's what they do. Why? Because that's how much they love living that winner's life, so to speak. So all the other hassles that come across it, they just brush it off. They don't whine about it when some actress is working outside in the heat of the sun. Oh, it's so hot. Wake up like three in the morning for a certain scenery in the movie. They don't do that because they realize that, hey, this is just normal in the acting career if I want to win that benefit. If I want to win that life at the end. Now, my question to you Christians is that those guys are living the loser's life. You're actually living the winner's life. You got gold, silver, precious stones that not even a million Oscars can pay for that one. And you got a mansion in heaven. You got cities, opportunities of cities to rule on this earth and an inheritance of all things, not just a portion of the world, not just all the world, but all things as God has promised to you. What a winner's life. So should it be obvious when situations rise up in the Christian life? And you have to brush away those things and say, look, this is just obvious living as a Christian. Isn't it obvious that people scoff me? Isn't it obvious that people turn against me? Isn't it obvious that I'm persecuted for righteousness sake? Isn't it obvious that it's hard to drag myself to church? Isn't it obvious that it's hard where I have to discipline myself to read the Bible and pray? Isn't it obvious that some of the sinful things that I gave up that my flesh don't want it and it's hard? Isn't that obvious when I am in service to God in order to attain and get that winner's life? Isn't that obvious? So when God gives you a drink, you got to realize this. It obviously comes with some bumps across the road in the Christian life. And what do you do about them? You just brush them off. It's obvious in the Christian life when God gives you that drink of rewards. It's obvious. So why do you whine about it? It doesn't make sense. Why do you whine about it? It doesn't make sense. It should be obvious in the Christian life. What did you expect when you became a Christian? That, that your pastor lied about you, that you're going to win your best life now, that everything's great, that there's no problems, that Jesus wants to fulfill your dream and get, fulfill your vision, make your family happy, give you prosperity, put, sow a little bit of seed in the offering plate, and God will increase it tenfold. They're only telling you the positive stuff in the Bible. They don't give you a realistic picture. My last point is derision. In the wilderness. Look at the derision going on in the wilderness. We're going to look at verse 7 and verse 2. You heard me right. We're going to start at verse 7 and then we're going to go backwards at verse 2. Okay? Here we go. And he called the name of the place Masa and Meribah because of what? The chiding. See, their derision of the children of Israel. And because they tempted the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? Now look at verse 2. Verse 2. Wherefore the people did what? Chide with Moses. Here are the specifics. Said, give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, why chide ye with me? 
Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? When you're in the wilderness, there is derision that comes out of your mouth. But what is the root cause of derision? You'll notice that verse 7 and verse 2, it says what they're tempting the Lord. That's the key. That's the key where you're deriding God with your whining. It's when you're testing, tempting God, putting God on trial. Because why? You don't believe. That's the key. That's why you whine. You don't believe. You don't have faith in his care and in his power. You don't believe that the drink that he gave to you is truly the winner's life. It's truly worth it. Because you don't believe in that, that's why you keep finding all these problems. When you look at these bumps across the road in attaining the winner's life, you keep pondering these bumps across the road, and you ponder on these bumps, you dramatize the bumps, you turn them into a monstrous problem, and then you whine about it. Why? Because you don't think... And you don't believe this is natural when I'm serving Jesus Christ. When I live this winner's life, this number one position that Christ puts me up, obviously these things are going to happen in life. I have to go through these bumps across the road. Isn't that natural? Should not I have faith and believe in that? You don't. If you took it as a matter of fact that it's natural to go through this in life, when I serve Jesus, if I'm going to be a winner and get all this riches and rewards and blessings, that should be natural. If you actually took that as a matter of fact and believed in that, you want to have a problem with whining. See, that's the key. It's doubt. It's putting God on trial. You should, putting, you should be putting those sins, those whining on trial. That's what you should be doing. You'll change your thinking after that. That's why to help our unbelief, what can we do? You need to pray. So when you're whining, you need to pray to the Lord and say, Lord God, my flesh is whining. I ought to be thankful. I ought to be grateful. Will you please help me? Would you please show me my problems and sins? That's why you need to quote the verses you memorized. How many verses have you memorized? Hardly any. That's why you're going to whine and complain. When's the last time you quoted the verse rather than whining? You probably whined more than you quoted verses, right? Wow. Do you even know Romans 8.28? Can you even quote it? I wonder about that. You just know Romans 8.28. You only know the reference, but you don't even know the verse? You need to quote some verses you memorize. That will help to diminish the whining and increase your belief, your faith. And dismantle your unbelief. You know what can clear away the doubts of, is God really that good? You know what can clear away that doubt? Remind yourself of what he did for you. Amen. Amen. Yes. Yes. You sure God will do that? Yeah, because he did it before. Amen. Oh, okay, says whining. Okay. But instead you let whining bother you. Uh, will he really do that? Ah, I don't know. It's a big oh. situation. Can you... Can, can you really trust God? And like the Jews in the wilderness, you're like, I can't believe it. Yeah, God won't give me water to drink. Hey, fool, what about that Red Sea split in half? Yeah. You, didn't, you, you forgot that. You don't think about that. How many times have God pulled you out of a bad situation? Yeah. And you have to test him and tempt him again? 
after he proved himself so many times? I'll help. What can help with your unbelief to get rid of it is to compare your situations with others. That helped me a lot. You know what prevented this pastor from quitting? Oh, he felt like he had a lot of good reasons to quit. Oh, Mike, you don't know my trials. You don't know the problems that I go through. Hey, what about the Bible-believing pastor, Gene, that have small churches like you, if not smaller, yes, sir. and they're going through situations and they've been pastoring for 10 to 20 to 30 years? Yeah, okay. All right, that will help. Yeah. Compare yourself with the brethren in this room. Maybe that will help. That will get rid of the whining. That will increase your faith in God. Why don't you rebuke yourself for being weak-minded? That helped me a lot. You might say, how so? Because every time I question God why and say, Lord, this problem is too great, every time I do that, what helped me immensely is God will keep telling me, okay, then do you want me to do the way that you want to do things? And I say, no. And God says, why? And I said, because I know whenever I want you to do this thing, it's going to fall. And I know however way you do things, it's always 100 steps ahead of me. And God's like, yeah, then why can't you trust me? And I'm like, yeah, stupid me. <laughs> hey, me. You need to do that. Tell yourself you're stupid. I know no pastor told you that. And your feelings got hurt. And you're going to walk out of this room and say, the pastor told me that I'm stupid. Well, you, you are. I'm sorry. So are you, Pastor. Yeah, amen, bless God. Can you say amen too? How about that? You probably can't say amen. I could. Man, you know what you need to do? You need to say, look, your, your mind is so weak. So how can you dictate and tell God, this way is better. Please get rid of this problem. Why can't you do it that way? Oh, wow, wow, I don't like this. How dare you can say that when your mind is this small and his plans are like this much bigger and wider. I mean, how stupid are you? How stupid are you? Tell yourself how stupid you are. You know what this world does? How smart you are. You're wiser than God. Bible's a myth. I mean, you're such independent, unique people and living in solidarity and we should all help each other out. No wonder they're all sensitive and weak and then whine about everything. You know why? They're trusting in themselves, not in God. Man, when you trust in yourself, I'll tell you what, complain all you want. All right? Because I'm just going to whine with you. All right? If there is no God, I'm going to join you at that corner and cry along with you and whine about every problem. That's good. Amen. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy chapter 32. Finish your whining, man. Finish your whining and start winning. Yes. Amen. I mean, aren't you sick and tired of whining? Get up out of there. Don't you want to finally start begin to win that winning life you haven't even picked up and started operating it activating it you're still at the ground whining turn to Deuteronomy chapter 32 we'll read verse 15 but just sure and wax fat and kick thou art waxen fat thou art grown thick thou art covered with fatness but look at the key words here then he forsook God which made him, and lightly esteemed, lightly, lightly esteemed, uh-huh, 
the rock of his salvation. Look at verse 18. Of the rock that begat thee, thou art unmindful. Yeah, no kidding. Unmindful, right? And hast forgotten God that formed thee. Yeah, you even forgot. That's what it does with whining. And when the Lord saw it, he abhorred them because of the provoking of his sons and of his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be, for they are a very forward generation. Children in whom is what? No faith. Unbelief is always the root source. So you know what God says? God says that, hey, I blessed you too much. I've given you, I spoiled you with this drink. I think it's about time that I take it away from you so you can learn what gratefulness is. You can start to comprehend what gratitude is like. Have you ever experienced that before where, I don't know if you've been through it before. Have you ever been through a situation in your life where there were things taken away from you? And then when you got it back, your your gratitude increased tenfold and you started to learn to be more content and like, man, I won't be sick and tired of this again. Some of you don't know what gratitude is. You know why? You're living a spoiled life. Like that verse says, God fed you too much. You're so used to living in comfort, you don't know what discomfort is like. While you're living in comfort, you think that your life of comfort is discomfort. But you actually never experience discomfort. So until God puts that real situation of discomfort in your life, then you know how comfortable that comfort situation was. Was that too deep for you? In other words, what? In other words, you're living too spoiled. You're so used to living the blessing. Until God takes it away from you, then you understand, hey, the blessing I had was actually really a blessing. It wasn't that bad like I thought. That's the plain English of it. So you better quit your whining. You know why? God can take it away. Yes, yes. Oh, God, I don't like this job. I don't like this school. Oh, the money I'm suffering. This family's driving me nuts. And, hey, you better be careful. God might take it away. And then one day you'll learn to be grateful. Oh, my parents giving me a fit. Be careful, child. God can take that parent away and let's see. You cry over the tombstone and say, I want mommy or daddy back. Oh, man, this uh, pastor did something right here. And I don't like pastor's attitude. And the preaching teaching was kind of bland. Be careful. God can take away that pastor one day. Be careful. Oh, that brother and sister doing this and that and that. Be careful. The Lord might take away the brother and sister who could be a blessing later on. Better watch your mouth. God can take away the things so that you can learn to be grateful. You know, trial is just like when we're running a race. And can you imagine where you're running that race and the trials that you went through for the Lord Jesus Christ, God has pulled you over and over and over again. And when you're in Jesus Christ, guess what? You win the victory. You already won. And Jesus Christ, you know what he did? He gave you a golden crown at the end of the race. And here you are shouting the victory. You know why? You're already on the winning side when you receive Christ for your salvation. So here you are holding that crown and saying, wow, this is what I want. But then you know what? Satan starts to slither along the way. 
And then he tries to trick you into thinking you lost. You know why? Because Satan is the loser while you're the winner. But Satan, he wants you to be as low as him. He shall be as God's. What, like you? Low like you? Be like me. And then he tries to use these tricks into being a loser like him. Don't you want a better house? I mean, I own all the world, says the devil. Don't you want the family to love you more and not go through problems? Don't you want a little bit more money, a nicer car? I mean, the job could promote you at a better position. School can be much easier. The people could be nicer. And you see, oh, the church can be better and fancier, more young people, more older people. And see, Satan, he puts these loser tricks on you because he's all Satan has is the losing things of this world. And then he's trying to make you low like him, trick you that this is the winning life and say, don't you want all that? And then here you are with your golden crown. You know what you're doing? You're going like this. Instead of being happy with the joy, I got this, I won, you're going like this, and like this, and like this, and finally you're down like this, on the ground like a loser with the devil, slithering on the ground like the devil does as a serpent, like a loser, and you drop that crown, and the serpent finally can catch it with his mouth, and steal the crown away from you. Because Satan knows he's not going to live the winner's life like you for all eternity. Yes. So what he wants is steal every drop that you've got so that you can be on the ground with him like a loser. Finish whining and start winning. Every head bow and every eye shut. The altar call is open. If the Lord laid it upon your heart, get off the ground, you loser. Get off the ground, you loser. Start winning. Aren't you on the winning side? Didn't you already won the war with Jesus Christ? Be on the winning side. Shout the victory. Don't be a loser on the ground and dropping the crown and letting the serpent take it away. Finish your whining and start winning. Here's an opportunity that we provide for you to spend some time in prayer, getting some things right with God. There are some things in your life that you feel like you need to get right with God. Surrender it to the Lord in prayer. Repent. Ask the Lord to help you. Some of you probably need God to help you. Say, God, will you please help me? This flesh whines very easily about the problems it's going through. Perhaps you need a special grace from the Lord. I'm done whining. I'm just done whining. It's over. I'm going to win this time. I'm going to shout the victory. I'm going to press on. I'm going to go out so winning. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to quit that sin. I'm going to stop moaning about situations in life. Learn to accept them and entrust them in the hands of God. I'm going to start living like a winner. I'm going to win. Finish your whining and start winning. Isn't there victory in Jesus? Isn't there a song that goes, I heard an old, old story, how a Savior came from glory? How he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. Heard about his groaning, of his precious blood's atoning. What happened? Then I repented of my sins and won the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. Didn't you already won? You already won. So shouldn't you be shouting the victory?
You haven't even started celebrating the victory. You did not even start living like a winner. You're still on the ground like a loser, whining about the problem, staying in the dirt with the devil. Isn't there a song that goes, I am on the winning side. I am on the winning side. Out in sin, no more will I abide. I've enlisted in the fight for the cause of truth and right. And praise the Lord, praise the Lord, and praise the Lord. I am on the winning side. Find victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't keep finding, losing battles, losing situations, living like a loser in the dirt. You're still groveling in the dirt, looking at the ground, moaning about your problems, crying at the ground. Get up and look up. Didn't the verse say, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith? You need to look up at Jesus. Don't look down at the ground with the devil. Why are you still on the ground with the devil looking at the dirt? Get your eyes off of the devil. Get your eyes off the ground. Look up. Look up and see the Holy Savior looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus told us in this world of trouble and tribulation, look up, why? For your redemption draweth nigh. He's coming. Let us be found faithful. Heavenly Father, I pray that people have finished whining here and I myself have finished whining and that we'll start winning for you and succeed things in life, and then be able to proudly cast those trophies at your feet. For you are worthy and you are holy. How much have you done for us, and we've hardly done anything for you? And as spoiled, rotten Christians, how can we whine about the life that you've given to us when you've went through so much worse? And the life you've given to us is a life full of victory, and love, joy, peace, and long-suffering. May we be found faithful in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.